Hello and welcome to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast. This is the very first episode of the Libertadores podcast in 2020. We had a good run in 2019 and we are back again to cover extensively pre and post every match week from now on the greatest competition in South America. And today, the recording of this podcast, it was myself and Mr. Oliver Wilson. We are both back in sunny Argentina uh, Ollie, even though we are actually both in Buenos Aires and are probably about a 15 minute walk from each other due to circumstances of logistics and freelance hustles and recordings and what have you, we're actually recording this uh, over Skype. But nonetheless, it was good to see you. Uh, good to see you this week. And uh, yeah, podcast is up and running again for 2020, Ollie. I get one cough around the studios and you start getting all panicky about coronaviruses and won't record a podcast <laughs> next to me. I see how it is, Windsor. Don't worry. No offence taken. It's lovely to see you and I will sit in, sit in my quarantine booth for the rest of the week. Don't worry about it. No, it's, it's fantastic to be back in Argentina. Fantastic to be back covering this competition. And um, we haven't even got to the good part yet. And already things are getting nice and spicy. And there are already players. I like that we're already picking players. I think I said to you earlier this week that... Yeah. We would have a best 11 of the competition. Like I've eyed up my right back already. I've, I've found him. As long as they get to the group stage, I've found him. He's probably going to be making it there because he's a joy Velasco to watch. Velasco plus 10. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Well, on the... This is kind of a pre-pre-pod, isn't it, Ollie? Because next week we'll give a real rundown of the Libertadores group stages and then those group stages do kick off in uh, in March and run to the start of May. So this is kind of a, a pre-pre-pod. And in this week, we talked about the qualification process, which is still ongoing for the final four spots in those group stages. We talked about the Recopa and uh, and plenty more besides. I've got to say, Ollie, when I touched down in... I think I can't remember whether I've said this to you actually off uh, off pod, but when I touched down in Buenos Aires this year, in fact, when I left last year in November after the final, I was talking to a taxi driver on the way to the airport about um, Lucas Prato giving the ball away and Flamengo lifting the Libertadores trophy. And <laughs> then honestly, and I didn't, I didn't bring this up, but on my first taxi journey back in, the taxi driver brought exactly that incident up again. A different taxi driver brought that exact on the, my very first day back in, you know, two months after the final. So I feel as though. Um, yeah, the wounds were still fresh for for Ripper Plate supporters, I should say. But uh, yeah, this uh, this pop was a nice little teaser and a taster. And hopefully, as the tournament does, Ollie, we will continue with fewer stutters in the weeks to come than uh, than were present this week. I think I mumble over Adebayor's name about five times, so you can look out for that. Uh, uh, to be honest, the the taxi driver story that you've just told us it, it either shows that the wounds are still open or that just. The Libertadores never stops on this continent. I mean, it stretches for the whole year anyway. But the fact that then you've got a couple of months or so of mulling over what could have been and people just can't let it go until the new competition starts is actually something that brings a little smile to my uh, to my face rather than any sort of, oh, you're clinging on and worrying too much about last season. It's actually, there's <laughs> there's so much pent up over the, the two or three months that the competition hasn't been around that everybody's just itching for it to get raring to go. And we've, uh, as I say, we've been entertained in the qual- uh, qualifying stages already. And uh, you and I will eventually stop stumbling and stuttering over the over our words although I'm sure uh, when we get to do this podcast face to face over a, you know a nice glass of Malbec or something I'm, I think uh, stuttering and stumbling may ensue so we'll see how it goes for the year <laughs> all right enjoy the pod Enrique gets in between the two Victor Cuesta with a fair challenge still might fall for Enrique Flamengo have the lead finish with a plum 
the seal on a fabulous Palmeiras performance. Gustavo Scarpa just helping himself to a goal. Apila takes it down, takes the strike on, and fires Boca in front. It's a quite splendid goal from Apila. Might be a second one here for Bruno Enrique. Into the bottom corner. Double delight for Bruno Enrique on the night for Flamengo. After um, Union's result against Atletico Mineiro on, uh, it was last night, wasn't it? On Thursday night. Mm. And they, 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 they cut to all the, they cut to the crowds, the crowd shots and the emotion and people that had obviously been following Union home and away for so many years. And all that emotion, honestly, I, I didn't cry, but I wasn't a million miles away from it. And Peter Quattas next to me was even closer than I was, I would say. It was... Uh, yeah, it was a that that's the closest I've come to crying in a, in a, a good few months, I think. Wow, that I I mean, and that's even <laughs> yeah, in the Sudamericana. Yeah. We're not even in the Libertadores with that. That's that's the sister competition that needs to be, you know, that would barely cast an eye over until you get into the uh, the quarterfinal yeah, no, stages. In that's, fact, that doesn't. That's a great. That's a great point, Ollie. Doesn't that doesn't count? Those tears don't count. I shouldn't be shedding. Shouldn't be shedding Sudamericana tears, should I? Wasting emotion on a, on a tournament exactly. that has barely got into its early stages. To be honest, although, I mean, if you were if you were shedding a tear over the Libertadores qualifying rounds as well, I'd still worry a little bit if I'm honest. But um, yeah, that, no man, you got to, Yeah, well, that, there is. That's just a bit of honesty from the Wilson. Uh, from the Windsor part of the Wilson and Windsor podcast, I should say that, uh, yeah, I was genuinely not a million miles away from tears this week watching football. Wow. That, I mean, I have cried over football, but we don't need to go through that story. No, likewise, but I mean, I didn't think I'd get close to tears watching Atletico Minero against Union, but I think you there fa- we go. I think you found right. your Argentinian side, mate. <laughs> yeah, potentially, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Right, should we track back through the group stages, Ollie, in terms of the, the formation of the group stages, which kick off at the start of March, and just have a look, just kind of recap uh, what those groups look like? Yeah, I mean, we'd be the right place to start, and thankfully the Libertadores gives us the best place to start as well with Group A, which is yet to be completely decided, which we'll come on to, obviously, when we talk about the qualifying rounds, but the three teams that we have in Group A at the moment, Flamengo, Independiente del Valle, the winners of the two competitions, the Libertadores and Sudamericana last season, respectively. And then Junior from Colombia, who were a side last year that were actually expected to do a lot more than they did crashing out in the in the group stage of the competition. And from what I've gathered, which I'm not going to say I've been perusing the Paraguayan press again, Dave, but uh, I will say that the uh, <laughs> there's a lot of hot talk in Colombia about Junior once again perhaps being a surprise upstart in this competition. So already with just those three teams, it's a group of death in the making. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as you said, that is the standout group by far. 28 of the 32 teams have already been decided in the qualification process, which we'll talk about in uh, in a little while, uh, will dictate the final four sides. And, and Group A definitely, it just leaps off the page. Like you say, the Sudamericana winner against the Libertadores winner is fascinating. And I think Barcelona will squeeze through against Serra Porteño. And Barcelona have really impressed me in qualifying. So, I mean, that group is, as you say, it's uh, it's really it's uh, it's really fascinating. Well, even, as for Group B, I was yeah, just going to say, even if it's Cerro, it's still a fantastic group. Like, if yeah. Barcelona have been excellent in these qualifying stages. Cerro haven't impressed that much, but if Cerro Porteño do get through, it's still a quarter finalist from last year. Either way, it's the toughest group that anybody could be put in. Sorry, mate. Yeah. 
And no, and if Sarah squeezed through, there's I think they're quite a romantic side, you know. Six times uh, semi-finalists in the Libertadores, and I don't know. The the stadium brings has, can create a great atmosphere. They were very very close. Um, to give him River a really big scare in the knockout stages last year. So yeah, listen, Group A is the is the pick of the groups. I think. Um, as for Group B, we've got Bolivar, Palmeiras, Tigre plus one. A little bit less exciting, perhaps, Oli. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, Bolivian sides. I don't hold out too much hope for, particularly from what we've seen in the early stages of the uh, Sudamericana, where I think every, this week every single Bolivian team was knocked out of the competition that was playing in their second leg encounters. And then uh, the the last team to go into this group is going to be either Palestina or, or Club Guarani, which, again, neither of those two really leap off the page as having great pedigree. It puts a lot of pressure on Palmeiras, I think, to exceed, not exceed expectations, but the expectation will be to probably win all six of their games, home and away. Uh, and then obviously Tigre as well have got a great opportunity as the uh, Argentinian side that we looked on, as all RG sides are in this competition, as as being a cut above the rest, um, to take the second <laughs> spot. I was, was going to say, look out for this, Ollie, but I've noticed that a lot of taxi drivers in Buenos Aires, when you mention Tigre to them, or when the topic of conversation uh, comes to Tigre Football Club, everyone seems to have played for them at youth level, or their cousin <laughs> played for them, or their uncle played for them. So they might be one of those clubs. You know how most people in London record they had, you know, trials with Palace or something like that. Yeah, it's uh, Tigre's got that kind of flavour to it. I feel that's that's something uh, something I've noticed over the past month or so being in Buenos Aires. So um, yeah, it's something to look out for. Uh, group C uh, is this is kind of interesting to be honest because Peñarol after last year uh, being knocked out in the group stage and a Uruguay, Uruguayan, Uruguayan footballing powerhouse and continental powerhouse historically want to make a, a a big statement this year I imagine Colo Colo of Chile have got a great history to them as well then you've got Atletico Paranaense of uh, Brazil Atletico as uh, some of our colleagues would insist on them being called and then Jorge Wilstermann of uh, Bolivia uh, bringing up Group C uh, in the fourth team, which I imagine is where, at the moment, they're down as the fourth team in the group and they'll probably end up staying there. But the other three is a really nice mix because Peñarol really underperformed. And if they do that again, it could open a door for Colo Colo and the Brazilian side will be expected to get through, I imagine. Yeah, of course. And Peñarol has the the added kind of interest in the fact that Diego Forlan is now the head coach and be very interested to see how that one pans out and Peñarol such a such a big name in South American football Group D then we've got River Plate Sao Paulo Liga de Quito and Binacional as well this is probably for me the second most interesting group of the of the batch because you've got River Plate of course who reached the final last year uh, and Liga de Quito always tricky at altitude and then Binacional play at altitude as well Sao Paulo big football club so that's a it's a tricky group for River yeah, Sao Paulo kind of trying to be movers and shakers a bit like Flamengo as well in um, in Brazil in terms of splashing a bit of cash on a few semi-star names in the last 12 months or so. They brought in Dani Alves, didn't they, at the uh, back end of last year's Libertadores. River Plate, there's always the expectation. Liga de Quito were very impressive uh, last year in a difficult place to go. And B Nacional, who made their... Uh, debut appearance in the Copa Sudamericana last year uh, and were knocked out by footballing giants of the continent Independiente but played really well at home in the second leg against Independiente and gave them a great game so not to be taken too lightly the Peruvian side albeit they've got a lot of inexperience to make up for in that group uh, then moving on to Group E, you've got Gremio uh, of Brazil Universidad Católica of Chile America de Cali of uh, Colombia 
and then yet to be named, which will uh, either be Internacional or Deportes Tolima of Brazil or Colombia, respectively. And I think, Dave, we all want to see Gremio and Internacional in the same group, even if perhaps Conmebol don't really want to see that. I think everybody else, the neutral fans, would like to see the two rivals going together in, uh, in Group E. Yeah, that would really spice up that group. But Deportes Tolima and Internacional with a 0-0 from the first leg in the third round of qualifiers. There's no guarantee whatsoever that Internacional, two-time winners of the competition, uh, of course, had a great run in it last year as well, are going to get through that tie. But should they get through that tie, then yeah, that's certainly, uh, that is going to be two fascinating matches. Yeah, and to be honest... Uh, next up then... I was just going to say, uh, Universidad Católica had a, had a tough group last year. I think they were in the group with Gremio last season as well and gave them a, a decent go. Uh, when they face them. So again, another side that could be a little bit of a surprise, uh, the Chileans in that group. Group F, Nacional of Uruguay, Racing of Argentina, of course, Alianza Lima and Estudiantes de Merida are the four in Group F. Uh, yeah, anything jump off the page at you there, Ollie? Obviously, Racing after winning the Superliga last season, they'll be keen to give a good showing in the Libertadores this. Yeah, Racing are one that, obviously, when we got to see them live in stadium against River Plate, they took a, a hefty beating on home soil against River in the league uh, last year. Um, Nacional were unimpressive when I watched them in the in the Libertadores last year and, and were quick to kind of bow out at the first knockout round of the competition. Alianza Lima were very poor as well in the group stages and deserved to, to be having their early exit. And I have to say... I, I put my hands up, Dave. Venezuelan football is not my forte. Estudiantes de Merida, uh, I've, I've not seen much of. Um, it's it's a weak group, and I would imagine that Nacional and Racing, the Uruguayan and Argentinian sides, probably have enough to get through. Yeah, I'm surprised you say you're not. Uh, you haven't watched a lot of Venezuelan football, Oli, because we were talking all things Venezuela pre-pod. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that was me mainly nodding, agreeing with your uh, with your tremendous back knowledge of the Venezuelan league. If I'm honest, Dave, I think you're you've certainly got that northern area of the continent covered. Uh, group. Uh, I was actually referring to other things about Venezuela. Group G, though: Olympia, Santos, <laughs> Delphine, and Defensia y Justicia. Uh, Olympia. Well. I mean, for some reason, for reasons I can't quite, uh, you know, I've read quite a lot about this, Ollie. I've seen the videos. Uh, but, and Manuel Adebayor, let me do that again. <laughs> Manuel Adebayor, is it, wait, have I got that wrong? Has he got, he's gone to Olympia, hasn't he? Yeah, Adebayor's at Olympia, yeah, with Rocky Santa Cruz. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the Manchester City former forwards. Yeah, but apart, the only reason that I can see that he's gone there is because he doesn't have to pay tax. Well, As in, there's no, I mean, there's no, ob there's no obvious link, Ollie, between Adebayor and Olympia, you know, and I did check this, there's no Paraguayan ancestry, there's no, there's no link, and apparently when he joined, and he's being paid an awful lot of money, he was just told, oh, you don't have to pay any tax here. And the glory anyway, of, uh, I just thought the, I... the Gloria Eterna of the well, Luchadores as well, I mean. No, no, clearly, you know, clearly that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, ab absolutely, I'm, I'm sure he had a little... He had an Olympia shirt on when he was uh, a little boy growing up. But uh, I don't know, it struck me as a, it struck everyone, I guess, as a, as a completely left field move. But one of those kind of amazing moves that makes the Libertadores so special. And hey, maybe I'm just not being romantic enough. And, uh, you know, maybe he was drawn in by the by the power and the magic of the of the Copa Libertadores. I don't know. I will say that Olympia played some really nice football in the group stage last year. 
and uh, were a dark horse. I think I, I recall on the podcast, both of us fancied them to an extent to go further than they did. But yeah, I, I, I think um, adding, a, adding a player like Emmanuel Adebayor, you don't lose a finishing touch. And if they can feed in the same sort of service that they get Roque Santa Cruz and Adebayor can play off that as well. You've got two very good finishers and Roque Santa Cruz is showing in Paraguay that it doesn't matter how old you are, you can still bang the goals in. So they wouldn't be one to underestimate in this group um, with Santos, Delphin, the Ecuadorian champions, um, who again, I haven't seen too much of in terms of uh, the Ecuadorian league is, is not covered too well in, in England, which is very disappointing that Sky haven't Scarcity picked up the right. Is... Mm, should get on that World Food comms for that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I mean, listen, Rocket Santa Cruz and the all together as a partnership, that's that's amazing. People are going to, you know, anything they do positive in the Libertadores this year, Ollie, is going to certainly find its way onto social media and elicit a bit of a response from Europe, I would have thought, because, uh, yeah, those are, they're, they're two big names and, and two, you know, I think Rocket Santa Cruz must be. Oh, 36, 37 maybe, and Emmanuel Adebayor is 35, 36. So yeah, it's there's some serious uh, mileage with those two. Yeah, Santa Cruz is. Um, he I might th- he must be older than that actually, Rocky Santa Cruz. I think he's like 38. Yeah, there we go. I've just found yeah. it. 38 years old, Rocky Santa Cruz. Perfect. Um, and Emmanuel Adebayor, yeah, around about 37, I think. So look. Doesn't matter though if you've still got the finishing touch. I still, I still give them a. Rocky Santa Cruz was somebody that we were waxing lyrical about during the Libertadores last year on the podcast, as in a guy that still yeah, got yes. the finishing touch. So Olympia might be just riding the the ancient wave all the way through, and it's going to be quite interesting, I think, with Delphin, obviously an Ecuadorian side that. Ecuadorian football seems to be producing a lot of excitement on this continent in the last few years with both the altitude of places like Quito, but the, the physicality that Emelec had last year, and then you've got the youngsters that seem to be coming through the teams like Independiente del Valle. So I wouldn't count out any Ecuadorian side from causing a bit of a stir in any group in this competition. So it puts a bit of weight of expectation on Santos and a lot of pressure on Santos as well with Olympia and Delphin in their group. And then I'm interested to see what an Argentinian side is going to do against those three in Defensa Eustica. Yeah, or, absolutely. Or is it uh, Justicia or Justica? Defensa y Justicia. Justicia. All right, I will uh, work on that for, for when we get to the group stages. It's all about the group stages. This is bueno, like a bueno. qualifying podcast for me. When... Hombre, tienes tiempo. Tienes dos, dos semanas. Y vos? And then... <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, listen, it's two weeks to the group stages, so you've got two weeks to master Defensa y, Just- Defensa y Justicia. Uh, I'm still getting my math right, Independiente Medellin from this week, it was tricky. Uh, group H, Oli, Boca Juniors, Libertad, Caracas, and the final spot in uh, Group H will be Independiente Medellin uh, or Atletico Tucumán. And um, 1-0 from the first leg, the Colombians uh, are up. So, yeah, that's the listen next week in the podcast. I'm sure we'll go into the groups in much greater detail. But that's a kind of brief overview uh, with a few little nuggets and, uh, and, and, and stuff like that as to the, to the overall uh, groups in the Libertadores in 2020. Yeah, if Boca don't win that group, by the way, they'll be hell to pay. <laughs> it'll be absolute hell to pay if Boca aren't top of that group by three games into the competition. Um, yeah, it's it's almost complete. It's not quite complete. We're still in the qualifying rounds of the Libertadores. Uh, 
Dave, you've been obviously out here in Argentina for no longer than three days, if anybody is listening from insurance companies and immigration. Um, <laughs> you've been out here for, uh, what, a, f- a few weeks now following the early stages of, of the competition, three the days, qualifying yeah. rounds. And um, yeah, I mean, the first two rounds in particular, you're not, you're not seeing in the Libertadores any of the, the real quality coming through, obviously, because most of them have booked their passage into the group stages already. But there's one team that stood out throughout all of these qualifying rounds for you, I think. There is, and I, I've really, really enjoyed the qualifying stages, I've got to say. I think it's um, there's been so much to get your teeth into. Barcelona of Ecuador have been absolutely outstanding. They thrashed Progresso in the first stage of the competition. And there are three rounds of qualification just to get to the group stages. Uh, Barcelona thrashed Progresso in the, in the first stage of qualifying. Uh, then they took apart Sporting Cristal, so they scored 10 goals before they came into this third round qualifying clash against Cerro Porteño. Cerro Porteño, as you mentioned, Ollie, they're a big football club. They are a big, big football club. Paraguayan Giants won the title on numerous occasions, six-time Libertadores semi-finalists, um, gave River a scare last year. So, um, you know, beating them in the first leg is no mean feat. I think they've got a way of playing from what I've seen. They've got a really defined way of playing with Damian Diaz as this plodding but precocious number 10 uh, who if you give him time and space he can pick out all kind of passes you've got the pace of Fidel Martinez and Emmanuel Martinez on either flank you've got this workman-like physical little bit nasty uh, Alves as the central number nine you've got two in behind Diaz that will just sit uh, I think it's and Velasco of course who, who I know we both enjoyed watching Oli because you covered their their first leg against Sarah Portenio but uh, Basically, what I'm saying is this Barcelona side, even in February, have an idea, have a way of playing, have a set 11, have a consistency. Everyone feels like they're on the same page. And that can be really, really powerful, um, as we've seen through the qualification stages. And to knock out Serra Porteño, if they do indeed go and do that next week in the second leg, that is a big, big scalp. Yeah, I think it's almost frustrating that we, we're going to lose one of these teams because I'd like to see both of them in the group stages, yeah. perhaps more than Agree. than clubs like Palestino and, and, and Club Guarani. No disrespect to them in any way. That, but Barcelona and Cerro, Cerro, of course, have, have almost been there and almost done that on six occasions, as you mentioned, with the semifinals. And uh, I think they hold the record for the most semifinal appearances without making a final in the Libertadores. Uh, Barcelona... You have to respect because they're set, much like, sorry, Club Guarani, they are set to become the first ever team to make it through all three qualifying stages and then put a passage into the group stage. It's never been done before, which is very impressive indeed. And and it's not just an impressive feat going through all three qualifying stages. It's the manner in which they've done it. They've completely dismantled sides. They scored 10 goals before this week against Cerro Porteño. And then... Fidel Martinez, as as you mentioned, grabbed another one who has already seemingly got the golden boot for the Libertadores locked up. Done. Six goals. He's done. Five yeah. games. And he's he scored sh- six goals. Should have uh, had seven. Yeah. Should have had seven with the, yeah, the missed he header from missed four yards out. I mean, Velasco put missed it on a plate sitter. for him. Um, but yeah, they've he's, got... He's definitely... Yeah, sorry, Oli, just on Velasco. I just couldn't, couldn't resist talking about, about him. I mean, I, we, everyone loves a fullback these days, especially when you see what Liverpool have done recently with Trent Alexander-Arnold and uh, Andy Robertson. And I think Velasco's just in that, in that mould, isn't it? He, he, wants, he doesn't want to be a right-back. He wants to go and influence the game, and he does that so well. Uh, he's been very impressive through qualifying. I also just wanted to say that, obviously, Barcelona, they're not a small club in their own right. You know, I think it was a couple of years ago they reached the semi-finals of the Libertadores. So, you know, they're not a small club themselves, but I just think the manner in which they've conducted themselves and, and like you say, 
demolished side so far in qualification is has been really really impressive there's been no messing about with them um i, I would have gone with fullbacks of like carlos and cafu rather than you know waxing lyrical about liverpool but i'll, I'll leave that to you dave to uh, <laughs> to talk about those guys and... uh, it's the here and it's the here and now for all we know our uh, our massive audience on the wilson and windsor podcast ollie could be uh could be people sub Sub 30, and they, they wouldn't have had too much of experience of Cafu and stuff like that. They need to educate themselves, Windsor. They need to educate themselves <laughs> about the quality of South American fullbacks. Javier Zanetti as well. Uh, Come on, get on board with the, with the culture right now. Um, I will well, Velasco's up there. I will, I will say Cerro Porteño were... And to be honest, last year, I remember obviously going through the Libertadores and, uh, and watching a fair bit of Cerro Porteño, albeit in highlights or covering them. And... Rarely was I impressed with them until they played River Plate. And then when they played River Plate in that second leg, that was the first time that you saw them really reaching their highest standards. I, w- I was thoroughly disappointed in midweek by uh, Arzamendia. And there's a lot of expectation on him as the, the next best thing coming out of Paraguayan football. The the left back did very little that was right and good with his left uh, left peg. Um, they, they missed the handful of chances that they had squandered them really. Oscar Ruiz had two wonderful chances that were saved by Borre. But in general, they didn't produce enough. And when you look at these two sides and the way Barcelona have conducted themselves and the disappointment of, you know, Cerro didn't exactly conquer all going through in the second round. I think it was two one-nil wins uh, to get to this stage of the third qualifying stage before the group stages. And uh, you You'd want to see Barcelona put in that group of death more than anybody else because on the balance of play that we've seen, they look like the side that's going to test the other big three powerhouse. Well, Junior, not necessarily a powerhouse, but the other two competition winners from last year in that group. Yeah, and I think they'd have a go as well. You know, I think they'd go to the the Maracanã, and I think that they'd have a go. And I think that's exciting. That's is a complete, you know, we're two complete uh, neutrals really in this race, aren't we? So, uh, you know, I want to see attacking sides in in the group stages, and I think Barcelona would offer that certainly. Um, the other kind of big story from the qualification process, and we'll talk about Palestino and Guarani uh, in terms of their first uh, leg result in the third round of qualifying in a minute. But Guarani knocking out Corinthians. It is in that was in the second stage of qualification. Massive, absolutely massive result. Corinthians are a huge football club, as we're consistently reminded. <laughs> and you know, Guarani, courtesy, courtesy of uh, you know, they've they've gone through um, courtesy of away goals and and you know, just just an um, but to knock out Corinthians, they did it in 2015, knocked out uh, Corinthians, and it was Fernando Fernandez who scored then, and he scored again in 2020. So amazing that Corinthians are out, and Guarani are not just through, but they're a goal up against Palestino in their third qualifying clash. Yeah, there, there seems to be. I remember last year there was a lot of discussion and, and talk around the place where we work about the idea that Brazilian sides are far too tentative, particularly on the road in all continental competitions and you know on paper you'd look at the size of a club like Corinthians and the expectation around them I mean we're as you mentioned told a lot that they are at least the second biggest club in Brazil arguably the first uh, ahead of Flamengo but Corinthians last year absolute bottle job in the Copa Sudamericana for being too tentative and this year in the qualifying rounds of the Libertadores again seemingly far too tentative on the road against Club Guarani, and then allowing goals on home soil as well. I mean, if you're not going to be aggressive away from home, you have to be rock solid at the back when you're defending your home turf. 
or have the gall and the confidence to be able to bang them in. And and Corinthians seemingly didn't have that against the Paraguayan side. And and as I say, they, they alongside Barcelona are set to go through all three qualifying stages and perhaps book a place in the in, in the group stage because Again, not to write off Palestino, but Guarani have gone on the road this week and, and got a 1-0 victory, went down to 10 men. A very impressive performance. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just just a final word on Corinthians. I mean, they are, they, they are the biggest football club in the biggest city in Brazil. And, you know, like you said, they're the second biggest club in the country after Flamengo. Some people even argue they're as big as Flamengo. So, yeah, amazing that Guarani have have knocked them out but knocked them out they have and, and they are 90 minutes away from a place in the third round of qualifying and I think it would be great to see clubs from the first stage of qualifying get to the group stages and maybe even beyond I just think that creates a really nice uh, kind of story arc and it makes the whole qualification process uh, it gives it a little bit more validity I think that sides can come in at the first stage of qualification get to the groups and then from there who knows so I think that that would be really nice if a couple of clubs could come through from that first round. I think it uh, ties it all in really nicely. Yeah, especially as it's kind of easy to write off those sorts of storylines. You know, when you look at the first round of the of the competition of the qualifying rounds, and you know, there's not many games. What six teams, three ties overall, and it would be very easy to kind of say, oh well, none of these teams are going to be any good. And when and when you see a side like Barcelona, for instance playing the kind of football that they have done and the quality that they have done and now against big opposition and doing it. And same with Club Guarani, very impressive in that first round of the competition against uh, the Bolivian side, San Jose, disposed of them quite comfortably and then knocking off, an, as you say, an absolute giant in South American football. It, as, I think it does add a, a validity and it, and it entices people to turn their attention to the early part of the competition and realise that Actually, there's something special that can come before the group stages, particularly if either of these two sides can find a passage into the uh, the knockout rounds. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves at that point because there's still a whole lot of March <laughs> and April to see what happens in those group stages. We may as well start talking about the final at the Maracanã in November, Ollie. Well, I'm just saying, if it's not Independiente del Valle against somebody, I'm not watching it, so... Yeah, no, it's, it's totally fair enough. Uh, elsewhere, the uh, Independiente Medellin against Atletico Tucumán and the Colombians a goal up from the first leg. I know I was, um, I know that Independiente Medellin have lost a couple of really important players, and I've heard that uh, in Colombia perhaps the expectation isn't that high from them this year. But I've got to say, and I know Tucumán aren't the aren't the greatest side in the world, but uh, I was quite impressed with. With the Colombians in this game, I was impressed by Caicedo leading the line. I thought Julian Gomez, the left back, uh, was another, you know, player full of beans up and down the flank. Uh, Rain is very tidy. Larry Angulo is a great runner. So yeah, I was impressed. They they won one nil. Got to say, Atlético Tucumán. I'll be really disappointed if they do get knocked out though, because I just love saying their name. <laughs> I think it's Atlético is really fast, but then the Tucumán is just really three very dainty sort of. <laughs> bits put together I mean I feel like I've had three drinks saying this earlier I actually haven't but just Atletico Tucumán I don't know don't you think that's kind of poetic and magical the more you say it the better it gets to be honest so I might just leave you to <laughs> yeah. keep keep reciting the name I always think of obviously a toucan every time I hear it <laughs> so I always think Atletico Tucan rather than Tucumán so uh yeah okay <laughs> I, th- I think we're on a different wavelength when it comes to uh Argentinian club club names um potentially but uh yeah that's the that, that's the position of those two clubs in the third phase of qualification and the final game 
in the third stage of qualification is Deportes to Lima against Internacional. 0-0 after the first leg, Oli. Internacional getting knocked out at this stage would be a huge shock. It'd be really disappointing. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I'm... I was, I was invested in Internacional last year because I really enjoyed watching them play. And over the summer break of the Libertadores as it would be in South America, the winter break back in uh, back in London, I, I was very frustrated to see some of the departures that took place from this Internacional side, which surprised me how how much I was kind of looking through and seeing who they were who they were getting rid of in terms of uh, Nico Lopez, Wellington Silva, the two wide players that actually injected pace when they needed it, albeit too little too late in the knockout stages of the competition last year. Um, Rafael Sobis as well, who was a kind of super sub for them. They, they allowed to let go too. So there's a little part... <laughs> I, I know... I know how disappointed you were because, you know, you talked about it a lot. And I know that Internacional, uh, you had a little soft spot for them. And uh, we mentioned earlier how close I was to tears as a result of something football related this week. And I, I can feel your pain because I know you, you were pretty upset to hear about Internacional losing a couple of their best players ahead of the 2020 tournament. Well, it's more just like you, you're kind of baffled by the foolishness of it. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm a, I'm a manager or anything like that. You know, I have no football experience in any way, shape or form at the highest level but I know what I saw last year and you and you see players that played really well and injected something completely different that was much needed into a side and then you see those three players getting sold off in in this summer window and it's just baffling mm. absolutely baffling um they, they produce plenty of chances Are you gonna be okay though yeah, I'll, I think I'll get through. I think I think okay, I'll get through. Okay. I'm not sure they will, but I think I will. Do you think it's an will? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Nil nil from the first leg. I mean, you take yeah, as, it would, listen to, as a team. You take a nil nil away from home at this stage because it's all about just booking a place in the in the next round. And I think for Internacional, there's because they've got Gremio in their group. If they make it through, I think there's a heavier weight of importance on getting to that because bragging rights have already been won for Gremio if Internacional don't make it into the uh, the group stage of this competition. And um, I, I would still back the Brazilian side to, to get the job done in the second leg next week. Yeah, so before we move on and just recap the Recopa, uh, four of those sides obviously from those four ties will go through to the group stages of the 2020 Copa Libertadores. And actually... Two of the best losers, if that's not too much of an oxymoron, will drop down into the Sudamericana last 32, which takes place in May. So all will not be lost completely for a couple of those clubs. But uh, yeah, it will be a big disappointment. Uh, on to the Recopa then, Mr. Wilson. Well, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on... I've, I've seen the highlights and watched the extended highlights of it. But I mean, this is what we're going to see in the group stage in Group A of the Libertadores. So it's a nice little taster that we're going to have. Of Independiente yeah. del Valle against Flamengo? Yeah, so I was going to say that the Recopa is essentially the European Super Cup. It, and then I kind of checked myself, I was thinking about this earlier, but it's not, is it? Because it's over two legs and the European Super Cup is just a one-off uh, occasion. But that is essentially what it is. The winners of the Sudamericana, Independiente del Valle from last year, against the winners of the Libertadores, which were, of course, Flamengo. It was a great game. Wilson, it was really, really good. There was so much that happened in it. It finished two apiece in the second leg at the Maracanã to take place next week uh, to see who lifts the trophy. But it was a fascinating game. There was so much in it. One thing that I have to say, Pablo Marie obviously got sold to Arsenal, right? 
And how well he does at Arsenal, I don't know. He was the best centre-back in South America, whether that translates to being a top centre-back at a massive football club in England like Arsenal, I don't know. But Pablo Murray was easily the best centre-back uh, in South America, in my opinion, last year. And I thought he held that back four together. And without him, they looked nervous and they looked vulnerable. And I know it is essentially we're at the pre-season stage of South American football this this year. The Brazilian, you know, everything's just starting to pick up around the continent. But if I was Jorge Jesus, I'd be... I'd be I'd be concerned even at this early stage. I really would. So Gustavo Henrique is the player they've signed to to play alongside Rodrigo Caio. Rodrigo Caio, I've never been totally sure about, and I think, I'd, you know, I think Pablo Marie's a big big loss. And Independiente del Valle were, you know, they took advantage, could have easily won the game. Uh, it was fascinating. Bruno Henrique actually got injured for. Flamengo scoring his goal, which is potentially a big blow because, you know, he was incredible in 2019. Five uh, five assists, five goals in the Libertadores last season. But the, the overall takeaway is it, it was a fascinating game. I could see exactly, within those 90 minutes, I could see exactly why each side won the trophy that they did. Uh, but I would say Flamengo, with the absence of Pablo Marie, are weaker, clearly. I definitely agree with you about the idea of a centre-back from Flamengo going to a big club and on the European stage and perhaps not being able to make that standard. I think that was something kind of interesting. I know we spoke about it in the off-season, the idea that there are a lot of people that have probably never seen Pablo Mari playing who are, who were saying, oh, yeah, you know, he's he's the next great centre-back of all time. And it's like, I mean, he's a very good centre-back, but let's not, you know, go crazy about him. But a massive loss no, because Rodrigo, he did provide a lot of help to Rodrigo Caio in uh, in the centre-back roles. The the two of them had a great chemistry, but Mari would certainly support Caio as opposed to it being the other way around for a lot of the time. So it doesn't surprise me that Jorge Jesus probably has something to think about when it comes to the Definitely. relationship of those two centre-backs. But I think you're always going to be solid when you've got Rafinha and Felipe Luis as those full-backs supporting the two centre-backs. And uh, and in William Arau and Gerson as well, they still have two excellent holding midfielders. And we know that Gerson, from his time at Roma as well, can really sit in and drop deep if needed. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about Independiente del Valle in terms of the the lineup they had, they've kept hold of a remarkable number of players from last year. You think about Pinos yep. between the post, Shunka, um, obviously Segovia. They had uh, Landazuri on the bench, Preciado on the bench, who, who came on, Efremera, Jon Sanchez. And Jon Sanchez in particular. Now, a lot of the kind of stats guys that I've seen from the Ricopa, uh, which I didn't get to watch in full because I was covering games at the time as well was seemingly playing at right back. Now, is is that correct? Because yeah. that seems yes, a ab- very, yes, absolutely correct. very bold call by the yeah. guy that scored in the semi-final and final and played so well as the opposite number to Christian Dahomey, who's gone to the uh, Vancouver Whitecaps um, in the off-season. Yeah. So what did Sanchez look like? Because we know yeah, he's was, got attacking I mean, ability. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, you saw a lot more of Independiente de Valle last season than I did, but I did see flashes of them, and, and yeah, Sanchez w- was great. I think the thing is with Sanchez is he's a great footballer, isn't he, Oli? Like, mm. he's a great footballer, so I'm not saying that you could just play anyone anywhere in the park. He obviously can't, but yeah, he slotted in. He was absolutely fine. Um, I think 
perhaps they were aware of the fact that Flamengo, you know, Gab- Gabby Gol was suspended. So Flamengo were kind of packing out that midfield and Arascaeta and Ribeiro, uh, Everton Ribeiro and Diego played really narrow. So maybe there wasn't too much direct running at Sanchez, even though when Bruno Enrique was on the pitch, he did try to peel that way. But yeah, he, he was really good. And I've got to say, I really liked, I thought, you know, Franco's tidy, got Pejerano with the, the experience, um, the keeper's solid, uh, Segovia, Sanchez, obviously really good. So yeah, I mean, if you haven't heard about Independiente de Navarre, and, and, and if you haven't and you, and you listen to this podcast, then you certainly will over, the, over this year because they're another <laughs> one of Mr. Wilson's um, uh, kind of pet projects. But why shouldn't they be, Oli? It is a ridiculous story. I mean, this is a tiny club from the suburbs of Quito. Yes, they've got the benefit of altitude. Yes, they've got a solid uh, financial model of either buying low and selling high or bringing through the youth. But... For this club to do what they have done, winning the Sudamericana last year, reaching the Libertadores final in 2016, and, you know, they, they, they've held Flamengo to a 2-2 draw. They're going back to the Maracanã, which is a free hit, by the way, for Independiente de Valle. They've, you know, they've... Uh, and they could lift the trophy. So, I, I mean, they are a crazy story. If you, if you don't know anything about them, do read up on it, because it is it is an amazing story from this continent. And um, you know what? In the Maracanã, really, I'm not... I think Flamengo will win, but... It wouldn't surprise me if Independiente de Valle went there and, and, and won it because they played really well. They caused Flamengo problems and there's just a, a confidence and yeah, they're, they're fascinating. They, they don't sit back, which is the nice thing I like about them is they, they will play the same style of football at home as they do away. And I think the Brazilian sides in the competition last year and uh, in particular in the semi-final last year it found out to their detriment that you can't take them lightly and think oh we're on home soil we're gonna be able to just you know hand them off keep them at arm's length and and then get something on the road potentially or get the result that we need and we'll we'll get the job done at home it's not that case with this side uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez the, the head coach it's a passionate man if you've ever seen him on the sideline but he, he comes with a yeah. game plan and it doesn't change regardless of where they are and and even you you look at the substitutes bench that they had Danny Nieto played Big moments in, yeah. in the competition last year. As I say, Landazuri was their regular right back. Efremera, the pup, was their traditional number 10. Alejandro Cabeza was yeah. the guy that would come off the bench a lot of the time and, and be a problem in the front Preciado's line. Preciado's got talent. He's really yeah. talented as a fullback. So, and, and that's just the guys waiting to get involved in the starting 11 from the, uh, from the team that didn't start in the Recopa in midweek. So you, everybody will talk about the likes of you know Vitinho, Thula and... And, and the quality that, you know, João Lucas on the bench for, for Flamengo. But there's quality in depth in this Independiente del Valle side as well. I'm really itching to see how they approach the Libertadores this year. But if the Recopa is anything to go by, it's <laughs> they're going to go in there with no fear. And it's kind of nice to see that and to hope that they continue that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the second leg... Of the recopper in the Maracanã um, should be absolutely great. And I think Bruno Enrique won't be fit for that. He looked like he was injured. Rodrigo Caia, actually, I meant to say, came off at the end. So, um, yeah, independent of I might have a really good go at the Maracanã. And, of course, these two sides will meet in Group A of the Libertadores in, uh, in March. So, yeah, amazing. I've just got... I've just got one more bit. We didn't put it on the running order, Windsor, but I'd like mm. to ask you something quickly because uh, there will be some people that perhaps aren't of a South American persuasion or don't watch the, the league that much or, or even the um, the continental competitions that much. But obviously, Alexis McAllister going to Brighton in Brighton in a pretty pivotal mm. position in their Premier League campaign. And he was one of the people that we 
spoke about a lot on last season's podcast. I'm just wondering your thoughts on how he'll do at Brighton. I think he'll flop. I think that there is a big difference between when you say someone is playing fantastically well and impressing and is head and shoulders above other players in South America to then segueing to a top European league. I'm not saying it can't be done because obviously history will show a million examples of it being done successfully. Alexis McAllister was a player that we talked about a lot and we both liked a lot. You know, he's mm. neat, he's tidy, he's got a goal in him. He's got, you know, um, he's got great eyes, especially if you're playing centre, he can really see things in front of him. But I, flop's a harsh word. I mean, flop, he's still a professional footballer and he's he's a kid and he's he's got, um, his, you know, an incredible career and life ahead of him. So, but... You know, I, I don't think he's going to pull up trees there. I really don't. I think uh, I think it's 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 a big big step. What about you? I, yeah, it's hard to see him being the the hope and savior of a. It's not the savior, yeah. Brighton relegation battle. Um, I yeah, I love him. I, I really enjoyed watching him uh, for Boca last year, both in the league and the. Uh, I'm trying to remember what they call it in the the League Cup, Copa de la Superliga. There we go. Uh, no, well, they only they only decided on the name themselves uh, <laughs> about a week before. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I won't beat myself too up too much about it, but um, yeah, no, and uh, and and thought when he did play, his performances were, were fantastic, and was certainly somebody that on this continent in these competitions could dictate a game. But being asked as a twenty-one-year-old in your first experiences of English football, and I'm not one of these people that puts English football on a massive pedestal. It, I just think that European football in general is still a step up from South American. And I I do hope he does well, but I find it difficult to see Brighton giving a 21-year-old Argentinian that sort of responsibility and and, and that opportunity to flourish in the way that, that Boca probably did, to be honest. So I don't think it... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not flop. It's... I think he'll struggle. Yeah, I think it will just be a, a really hard graph for him and a big learning curve for a young player. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I desperately hope I'm wrong. I hope he's fantastic for Brighton. You know, I grew up in Brighton, Ollie, so um, I've always got um, half an eye on their results. And, and yeah, but listen, flop, well, it depends by what, what, what you define as success for him individually with Brighton. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I desperately hope I'm proved wrong, let's, let's put it like that. Fair. Yeah, sorry to throw a curveball at you on the, uh, on the podcast, man. No, I think, it's, I, I think it's really interesting. I think... Um, yeah, I think it's you know, Buenos Aires is a long way from England, isn't it? So there's uh, there's oh, a lot yeah. of variables, you know. I, I think maybe I'm, I know this is not a direct comparison in any way, shape, or form, Molly, but the Rossi's arrival in Buenos Aires uh, in 2019, you know, what was expected of him coming from Europe, and I appreciate it's the completely uh, other side of his career, and he's, he's a different player to Alexis McAllister, but at the same time, you know, you, you have to remember that things are. Yeah, there's there's a big uh, there's a big gap between between the two continents. Wait, you're saying Emmanuel Adebayor isn't going to reach the heights of his peak at Arsenal and, and Manchester City because the the reception he had in Paraguay, you know, he... yeah, amazing. <laughs> you know what he? I always really liked Adebayor, um, and then like you do, you kind of lose track of these players' career after they, uh, you know, pass thirty and go to Turkey. Maybe he went. I, you know, I don't have it off the top of my head, but. Uh, I can't remember. What he, I don't know what he's been doing the last the last two or three years, really, because I haven't heard anything about him. But uh, yeah, listen, I hope he uh, I hope he scores an awful lot of goals 
in Paraguay. And, and he probably wasn't bought for the Paraguayan League, was he? Really, he's bought to, to perform in the Libertadores, so we'll see. Yeah, he had his time at Tottenham as well, didn't he? Uh, apparently, according... Yeah, he was, he was good. According to uh, footballing indexes that I've got, I don't remember him at Crystal Palace, I have to say, and that was only three years ago. I, yeah. Have, okay, know. no, I don't. I can't really recall that. Istanbul, Başakşehir. Uh, Didn't watch too much of him there, Ollie. No. No? And uh, Kai Serispor. <laughs> Kai Serispor. Uh, another do Turkish regret side. Beginning to, do you beget, regret beginning to list his most recent clubs? Oh, uh, very much so. Um, <laughs> although I also kind of wish we'd started a Turkish footballing podcast because the number of players that do end up in Turkey is quite astounding, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Like yeah. Big oh. names Thanks again for listening to Dave and myself ramble on about the Libertadores once again in 2020. We'll be doing it every single round of the competition from now until the very end and plenty more coming as well. Remember, you can download the pod on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, who are our host, Spotify, and many other good podcasting outlets as well. Email us, willwinpodcast at gmail.com. That's willwinpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow David Windsor on at David T. Windsor on Twitter. That's at David T. Windsor. Uh, 2020, the year of uh, David upping the social media game apparently you can follow myself for o underscore j underscore wilson that's o underscore j underscore wilson uh, joel richards and peter coates will also be featuring this year on the podcast quite regularly you can follow joel at joel underscore richards and peter at at golazo argentino use the hashtag libertadores pod to send us your questions via twitter and of course stay tuned to the podcast by liking, subscribing and following us on all social media outlets. Until next time, where we'll have the end of the qualifying rounds and we can really start looking at the group stages because it will all be set. The stage will be set for the search for Gloria Eterna. And of course, the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast will bring you all of the reviews of the action. Take care.